Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to Matthew, the 25th chapter. And in just a moment, I'm going to rip off about 13 verses. And so you're really going to be helped by getting in the Bible and be looking in Matthew chapter 25. We're just going to work out of this text primarily this morning. We'll jump out a time or two, but we'll just keep coming back to this parable in Matthew, the 25th chapter. Let's get ready to study in the Word of God together. I appreciate so very much the fact that you have chosen to prioritize the things of God on this day, the Lord's Day, to give special attention to Him and to His Son. And of course, one of the ways that we do that is by giving careful consideration, reverent attention to His book. And so let's get about the business of that right now. In Matthew, the 25th chapter, I'm reading here beginning in verse 1. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew 25, verse 1. Jesus says... Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, Jesus says, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but if you were to log on to the website of the Center for Disease Control... And in all honesty, the last several months, I'm guessing that web traffic has been pretty high on the CDC website. But if you get onto their website and you scroll down a little bit to the section that lists all the various campaigns for preparedness and response, you will find an entire section that is devoted, I kid you not, to zombie preparedness. I am not making this up. This is an actual screenshot from the CDC website, which as you can see, you keep on going down, it contains a checklist of essential items that you need to have on hand in the event of the zombie apocalypse. Now, some of that is probably meant to be taken tongue-in-cheek, but you should know that there are people who take very seriously the threat of a zombie nuclear holocaust doomsday where in order for you to survive in this post-apocalyptic world, you had better be prepared. And what that means is, is that means you better have plenty of food rations, you better have lots of clean drinking water, you better have a kit with medical supplies in it, you better have batteries, lots of batteries. Going to need some batteries. And then, of course, most importantly of all, you better have a good firearm so that you can blow all the zombies to smithereens. The point is, you better get prepared so that you're not caught flat-footed. Now, while most of us probably have a hard time taking any kind of zombie apocalypse, taking any of that seriously, 
I do think that all of us understand about the importance of preparedness. Think about it. Somewhere in your house, you've got a box of Band-Aids and a bottle of rub-in alcohol. Why? For when somebody falls down and scrapes their knee. In the trunk of your car, you've probably got a set of jumper cables. Why? For that unfortunate moment when your car dies and your battery needs a jump start. You probably have an umbrella or maybe even a couple of umbrellas somewhere. Why? For whenever it rains. Preparedness. We understand about the necessity of being prepared. But in Matthew the 25th chapter... The preparedness that Jesus is talking about here is not preparedness that comes whenever we have heard the weather forecast and it's calling for rain and so, oh, I know, I need to bring an umbrella. No, no, that's not the preparation Jesus is describing here. The preparation that Jesus talks about here is the kind of preparation that, let's be honest, is most easy to overlook and unfortunately most people aren't doing. What Jesus talks about in this parable is spiritual preparedness. Are you prepared for when the bridegroom comes? And even after reading that parable, even if you weren't familiar with all of the customs and the traditions that are described there, what's this marriage feast all about? What's the oil and the lamps got to do with anything? I'm still going to be willing to guess that you got the main message of the parable on the first pass. Because if Jesus is the bridegroom, and He is, then that means that you and I, we are either the wise girls or the foolish girls who are awaiting His return. And what's going to make the difference on that day when He returns, judgment day, is going to be whether or not you and I have prepared for His coming. This is a parable that is all about preparedness. Getting ready and staying ready for the second coming of Jesus the Christ. And this morning, I want to develop from this parable just some key principles about spiritual preparedness. Preparing our souls for eternity. Because the truth of the matter is, it would be a terrible shame if we knew how to get ready for the weather or how to get ready for a flat tire, or maybe even how to get ready for zombies, but we weren't ready to meet the Lord. What a terrible thought that would be, which is why I do want to spend just a few minutes here this morning in Matthew chapter 25 so that every single one of us within the sound of my voice can answer affirmatively this question, Am I ready? Are you ready for that? Let's find out. Truth number one. Truth number one from the parable, and that is this. Preparation can oftentimes look a little foolish. That is, until it's needed. Do you ever see those people on those shows like Doomsday Preppers? where there's these folks and they're dressed kind of weird and they're storing up like five years worth of canned food and bottled water and ammunition in a securely locked underground bunker. Folks look at those people and they think, wow, those people are are a little crazy, a little bit out there. In fact, folks maybe even laugh at them a little bit for going to all of that kind of effort. But then, of course, if something cataclysmic were to happen... 
Eh, People wouldn't be laughing at those folks very much, would they? In the same way, whenever you and I make preparations, even on a much smaller scale, people sometimes have a tendency to kind of pick at that. Oh, you're, you're bringing an umbrella? You're going you're gonna to carry that around all day long? The forecast isn't even calling for rain today. What are you doing? Or you, you, you actually brought a first aid kit? Come on! Nobody's going to get hurt. Don't need to go to all of that trouble. That's just not really necessary. I can even picture here in this parable those five foolish girls saying to the five other girls, Come on, what are you taking all that extra oil for? What do you need to go to all that trouble for? I mean, the bridegroom's going to be here in just a few minutes. It's not going to be that long. You see, it's easy when you don't think that you're going to need it to kind of poke a little bit at folks who are getting prepared. Just like this world has a tendency to poke at Christians who are trying to get prepared for the return of Jesus. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 4. Just hold your place in Matthew. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter talks about how the world makes fun of us because of the things that we do and the way that we live in trying to be prepared for the Lord's return. I'm reading here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Read with me beginning in verse 3. In 1 Peter chapter 4 beginning in verse 3. With respect to this, they are surprised. In fact, let me back. Let's back to verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunk drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatries. Verse 4 now, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Come on, people say. Let's have some fun. We're going to party. What do you mean you're not going to join us? Oh, you're a Christian now, huh? Okay, so you're too good to come and hang out with us and run around with us anymore. Oh, you're just kind of a goody two-shoes I see here. Oh, well, look who's being a stick in the mud. Look who the square is. You're such a loser. In fact, Peter warns that that kind of treatment is exactly what Christians should expect. Continue on. Drop down to verse 14. In verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ... You are blessed. Verse 16, he continues on. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What Peter says is that we can expect that the unprepared, that is the folks who don't get it, they are going to ridicule and mock as we try to make preparations for an event that they just refuse to acknowledge. But you know what? Even if the world never takes seriously the coming of the bridegroom, even if nobody else around us takes that seriously, we do. We absolutely take that seriously. And so we ready ourselves. Every moment of every day, we ready ourselves for that moment regardless of what other people think or say. Somebody maybe says, well, Josh, doesn't that kind of make us look... Like those doomsday preppers on TV, the people who are walking around with those big giant backpacks just stuffed to the gills with supplies and they've got a utility belt on and a harness and all this kind of stuff and they're just constantly paranoid that nuclear war is going to be right around the corner. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus is not saying 
that Christians ought to become paranoid prognosticators who overzealously are planning for some event that may not ever even happen. No, take a look again in our text in Matthew chapter 25. Look at verse 1 again. Verse 1 says that all ten of those virgins, they went out to meet the bridegroom. Then in verse 6, at midnight there was the cry, Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Do you see? These girls weren't waiting for something that was maybe never even going to happen. No, the bridegroom's arrival, it wasn't an if. It was a when. When the bridegroom came. And that is exactly where Christians are as it pertains to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus will return. That's not an if proposition, it's a when proposition. We're not preparing for some mythical event that might occur someday. No, we know with absolute certainty Jesus will return. The Bible bears that out repeatedly. Can we just grab a couple of those places? Look in John 14. In John 14, let's listen to Jesus himself. In John the 14th chapter, as Jesus is preparing his disciples... For the fact that very shortly he would no longer be with them, he says this to them in John 14 and verse 1. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Verse 3 now. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Jesus says he will come again. He will. Count on it. Bank on it. In fact, it's not just Jesus who says that. In 2 Peter now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, you know, sometimes it kind of feels like that the Lord's taken a really long time to do this coming again thing. You know, the Lord's given his word, he's given his promise, but... Man, it just seems like it's taken forever for him to follow through on that word. And Peter recognized that there were going to be folks who would think that. And so he says in 2 Peter 3 and in verse 9, he says there, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Verse 10 now, But the day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I worry sometimes that that truth is fading from view. And what I mean by that is I hear lots of talk about being prepared for when we die and go to see the Lord. But you know what? And while that is true... There's not nearly as much discussion about the very real possibility that in your lifetime, Jesus could come here and see you. Do you think about that? Peter says the day of the Lord will come. And in that day the sky will be rolled back like a scroll and the trumpet of God will sound, and the dead in Christ will arise, and the Lord Himself will descend to administer judgment on you and upon me and upon everyone who has ever walked upon the face of this earth. And it is that fact 
that Peter goes on to say in verse 11, it is that fact that motivates us to live lives of holiness and godliness. And you know what? If the rest of the world thinks that we are foolish for doing that, if they think that we are silly and that we're just missing out on all the fun, we're just, we're just missing out on all the good stuff now, you know what? We don't care. We're not worried about that. Because when that day comes, we're going to find out who it is that really was foolish. You see, when you know that Jesus is coming, when you know the bridegroom is on His way, then you don't mind packing a little bit of extra oil, do you? In fact, you are glad that you made those preparations in order to meet the bridegroom. And that is especially true because of this second truth. And that is that there comes a time when it is too late to get prepared. You know, anytime there's a hurricane and they're charting and tracking that, the Weather Channel usually ends up sending some reporters down to the coast and they always seem to find someone who after the order to evacuate has already been given by the governor or by the local officials there, they always find somebody who is not evacuating. And they interview that person and the interview is usually all the same. They say things like, well, we just, we just don't really think it's going to be that bad. Or, you know, we've, we, we've rode one of these out before. Or, you know what, we really think it's going to be all okay. It's not going to be that big of a deal. And you know what, sometimes, sometimes it does turn out to be okay. But you know what? Lots of other times, it's not okay. I read a story about a family who tried to ride out a hurricane. This was back in 1992. This was during Hurricane Andrew. As it blasted across Florida with 200 mile per hour plus winds and trillions of gallons of water just pouring down from the sky. The electricity was knocked out. So that means that it was practically utter darkness at nighttime. Trees and other structures are being ripped up from the ground. And when it became too late to evacuate, this family realized the trouble that they were in. At one point during the storm, they literally saw the roof being physically lifted from their house, which then prompted them to start thinking about the fact that before long, the walls are probably going to collapse in just like a house of cards would do. And they were in that moment running and screaming and shouting and praying. They were utterly scared out of their minds. They almost ended up paying the ultimate price because they didn't heed those warnings to prepare and they ended up finding themselves in a moment when the time for preparing was long gone. And that's exactly what Jesus is driving at here in Matthew chapter 25. You know, Jesus deliberately structures this story so that those shops that you would go to buy some oil at, those shops are going to be closed at midnight. Those five foolish virgins, they can't go out and buy more oil. It's just not that easy in those times. If in the story there was just a 24-hour Walmart on kind of just every street corner and the girls just kind of hop over there and we'll run down to aisle six and we'll pick up some oil and get that and get that in our flask and we're ready to now rejoin the wedding party, well then the point of Jesus' parable would be completely moot. But what Jesus is saying here is that there is a time to prepare and you know what? You may get ridiculed for doing that preparing. That's point number one. 
But you know what? When the crisis comes, there's no more time for preparing. Because now, now it's too late. In the language of verse 10, and the door was shut. That's a cutoff point, isn't it? And when Jesus returns, that's it. The door is shut. There is no overtime. There are no extra periods. There's no, oh, okay, I'll give you a few more minutes to tidy up and to finish up and to get prepared. No, when Christ comes, that's it. Game over. Which means, just practically speaking, that means that now is the time to get prepared. Did you notice in the parable, would you look at verse 5 again? Did you notice that there? It says that the bridegroom was delayed. Your translation might say the bridegroom tarried. Can I ask you, when is that? When is that delay? When is that tarrying taking place? Well, that's, that's now, isn't it? That's right now. The bridegroom right now still tarries. He is delaying. He is waiting. He has been patient through time down to this present moment. Why? So that you and I and everyone else can get prepared. What does that mean then? Let me be very, very clear and very, very plain about that. Number one, if you are not a Christian, then today you need to become a Christian. That's what that means. That means that you need, if you have not already, you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. That's what Acts 2.38 teaches. That's what the whole New Testament teaches. You need to become a Christian. You need to obey the gospel. That's what you need to do in order to get ready. And then number two, if you are a Christian, then what do you need to do? You need to stay ready. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is... You need to remain faithful. You need to be faithful to the Lord. That means things like you need to abide in Jesus. You need to be growing in the vine. You need to be bearing fruit for the Master. That's what Jesus says in John 15 verse 5. You need to continue faithfully serving the Lord. And the whole reason that you need to get ready and then stay ready is because what Jesus is talking about, go back to the very top of the parable, verse 1, what Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven. The reason that we do all this preparation stuff is so that we can go to heaven. That's what this is all about. We're not just preparing for nothing. No, we are getting prepared so that when the Lord returns, He will take us home with Him to heaven. In fact, this parable, in many ways, it is playing off of the metaphor that John uses in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 19, where he describes heaven there as the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the groom, Jesus, He brings His bride, the church, He brings us home to live and dwell with Him for all of eternity. Do you see? Do you see? You need to be a Christian. What are you waiting for if you're not a Christian? And do you see as well, brother or sister, you need to be a faithful Christian. What are you messing around for? Get serious about that. 
Heaven hangs in the balance. And the time to get ready is now. Because thirdly and finally this morning, a failure to get prepared now, it will result in terrible consequences later. Because being unprepared carries with it a high cost. If you look again at the text, we might be a little bit puzzled at the response that the bridegroom gives to those five foolish girls. After he allows the five wise girls to come inside, and then verse 10, we noticed earlier where he shuts the door on them, we're then told in verse 11, notice what he says to them, afterward the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I don't know you. Whoa now, hold on a minute. What gives here? Okay, I I understand. These girls were a little bit late to the party, okay? It's not ideal, but that's what happened. But you go, come on, this is is New Testament Palestine. People are not walking around wearing wristwatches. People don't carry a cell phone that's connected to and chimed right into the atomic clock so that everybody knows the precise second on the clock. In the New Testament world, a world where people mostly walked everywhere that they went, a little bit of tardiness was was kind of just expected. And so what's up with all of this I don't know you business? That's, That's a little rude, isn't it? Actually, actually it's these five unprepared bridesmaids who are the rude ones. One scholar wrote the following... He said the foolish bridesmaids missed the entire procession back to the groom's house. They missed also all of the festive singing and celebration. And they missed the crucial element of a Jewish wedding in which the bride was brought into the groom's house under the wedding canopy. Having insulted the host, they could not be admitted to the feast. Having insulted the host, they could not be admitted. I wonder today how many people are thinking about a scenario on Judgment Day in which they have insulted the host. God the host. Do you ever think about it in those terms? That if you're not getting ready and if you are not staying ready, then you run the risk of insulting the Lord. That's a powerful thought. Maybe what would help us here is if we could kind of update that wedding analogy and maybe it might resonate with us a little bit more. Imagine that you are engaged to be married and so you go and you find and you appoint your best man and you of course do all the stuff in getting him ready and preparing him. Here's all your duties on the day of the rehearsal and on the day of the ceremony itself. and Get him ready for all that and he says, yep, good to go. I'll be glad, be, be honored to be your best man. And then come the day of the wedding, your best man is nowhere to be found. He didn't show up the day before for the rehearsal dinner. And now here we are on the afternoon of the wedding itself and... He's not here at the chapel. He hasn't called. He hasn't texted. Now it's getting close to time for the wedding to start. Everybody's sitting in their seat. The bridal party is all lined up, ready to make their entrance now. And yeah, you're just going to have to start without him. 
And so you do. And the whole ceremony is conducted. I do, I do. You kiss the bride and all that kind of stuff. And then as you and your bride, you're walking down that aisle and everybody's applauding and it's a joyous occasion. Bang! Come bursting through the door is the best man and he says, Hey everybody, I'm here. Let's get started now. What do you mean? Let's get started now. You're late. You are horribly late. You've missed the whole thing. And he even says, well, well, hey, come on now. I was watching the last few minutes of the ball game. It went into overtime. I was just trying to catch as much of that as I could. And then, of course, when I jumped in the car to head over here, I realized that my car was almost out of gas. So I had to stop at the gas station, get some gas. Then I had to swing by the mall. I had to pick up my tuxes. I had to have some alterations done. Needed to get a haircut. Wanted to look good for the ceremony. And, well, yeah, I am a little bit late, but, but I'm here now. And so, hey, let's get this thing started. Can I ask you, do, do you think anybody in the wedding party or do you think maybe even any of the guests that are there that day is going to jump into that guy's defense and say, yeah, come on, cut the guy a break. Let's just start all over because the best man's finally here. No. No. What people are going to do is they're going to look at that guy and they're going to say, that guy is a jerk. And why? Because he insulted the host. He can't come in. Let's understand very clearly. We are sinners. Our iniquity separates us from God. But God in His kindness and in His grace, He sent His Son to make it possible for us to be reconciled to Him, forgiven, and to have the opportunity to go to heaven someday. And that meant Jesus suffering and dying for you and for me, and then saying to us, get ready. Stay ready. Because I'm coming back. When that day comes, when Jesus returns, and you're off scrambling and looking for oil, what will be on that day is you will have insulted the host. And in that day, you will be shut out. You see, a failure to prepare now, it will cost you an eternity with God. And that's why Jesus concludes the parable with the words in verse 13, Watch therefore, be prepared, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the bridegroom comes. Now, I will confess to you that I am not actively preparing for a worldwide zombie apocalypse. I don't think that's going to happen. I've seen the movies, and I just don't buy it, and I don't take it seriously. On the other hand, I am actively preparing for the return of Jesus Christ. Because I truly believe that I will need those preparations if I die and I go to see Him. But even more, there is the fundamental reality that at any moment, like a thief in the night, Jesus could come and see us. The bridegroom will return. Are you ready? 
Would you pray with me, please? Our dear gracious God, we come before you, Lord, sobered by the power of your word. And we are so very thankful for the very candid way in which your Son has spoken to try and prompt us to examine our level of preparation. Father, we are asking this morning that you use this parable to provoke us to change and to repent and to cause us to serve you better. And Father, if there is anyone who has heard the message and the teaching of Matthew chapter 25 and is not in a prepared condition, Father, may your word burn like a fire in their heart and provoke them to render their obedience to you now before it is too late. Father, we do thank you for your patience and for your long-suffering. But at the same time, Father, we long and we yearn for the day when Jesus, our bridegroom, returns so that he can take us home to be with you. Thank you so much for the eternal life that is made possible through his life and his death and his resurrection. And it is in his name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. And amen.